The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David F. Shirod. Today we bring you Jeremy Como's interview with Jane Linscold about the third entry in her Overwear series, House of Rough Diamonds. It's available now in trade paperback and all your favorite ebook formats. DRM free at Bain.com, of course. Let's take a listen. Greetings, this is the Bain Free Radio Hour, and I'm your host, Griffin Barber. Tonight, I'm joined by editor-authors Larry Correa and Casey Azell, as well as Marisa Wolf and Hinkley Correa, here to talk about the third noir installment of anthology goodness from Bain Books, Down These Mean Streets. Uh, hello and good evening, folks. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, and, glad uh, to be here. So we wanted to go through and let everybody introduce themselves as a... Uh, uh, as I'm sure you're sick of doing already, but uh, we'll start with you, Casey, and uh, if you want to give us a brief introduction. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. My name is Casey Ezel. Uh, I write science fiction, fantasy, and noir, um, and I have worshipped at the altar of Raymond Chandler for several years now, um, and uh, I wrote, uh, so I co-edited the anthology, uh, all three anthologies with Larry. And um, for this one, I have the story called Ophir Kasma. So. And Larry? Uh, so I'm Larry Korean and I write a bunch of different stuff and but different novels. And I've done a handful of uh, collections and then a couple of anthologies now, or three anthologies now with Casey. And uh, this one has been a hoot. Uh, we, we've done... We've had a lot of fun with these, and we've had just a great collection of amazing authors, and uh, we've had we've had a blast. And I also have a story in here uh, from the Last Planet Homicide universe called Low Mountain, which is a really fun story. That was it pretty is. fun. And Marisa, yeah, hi, I'm Marisa Wolf. I am a science fiction and fantasy writer because I'm a giant nerd and those are the things I like so I write them uh I, I got to sneak in in this third anthology uh and I've got a story called Ghosts of Cascada and then we've got Larry uh, got a lot prettier Hinkley <laughs> <laughs> Korea joining us hi I'm Hinkley Korea I like I write stuff. I write uh, sci-fi fantasy, and I wrote Yokoburi for this collection, which is in the similar one to my Japanese uh, ghost hunting detective. It's set in the same world, but with kind of the main protagonist of the series, I hope. And yeah. It, I apologize for the setup here uh, with my, <laughs> my, my daughter and my dog. That's because the uh, the router in my office died, or the mesh in my office died today. So we're we're improvising in the living room. <laughs> Murphy's law, right? It's, it always yeah. happens on the day you need it. I feel yeah. like too, you should never apologize for dogs. To be yeah. clear, like they belong right. on Zoom calls, yeah. And cats. Do we hear growling in my house? That's what's going on. <laughs> He's right mm -hmm. here. Sure, sure. sure. It doesn't have anything to do with you. You've never growled at anybody. Never. <laughs> so. Uh, let's, we're here to talk about the great stories in here. I, I was lucky enough to also have been a contributor to all three of the anthologies. Uh, I have a story called Breathe uh, in this one so that uh, is uh, coolly sandwiched between a couple of big big names and great stories as well. Um, but uh, Casey, tell us a little bit about how this all kind of came to be. I mean, granted, it is the third one, but uh, let well, us know. Oh, sh sure. So in, in case you haven't heard my spiel yet, um, uh, as I said, I'm a huge noir fan, and uh, several years ago, way back when, um, probably like 2015, I was reading Raymond Chandler, and um, and I had just recently uh, had a short story come out in another um, anthology that Bain had done, and I was inspired to write a noir story, and I wrote it, and I loved it, and then I was like, I have nowhere, I have no idea where to where to put this thing, right? Um, and so I was thinking, man, Bane really needs to do a noir anthology. <laughs> and that got my my scheming wheels turning. Um, 
And shortly after that, I had the opportunity to read Larry's Grimoire series, which if you haven't checked that out and you like more at all, um, first, you're wrong. Second, um, you definitely should uh, should go, do not pass go, do not collect $200, just hop on Amazon and, and grab yourself a copy because um, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, kind of like urban fantasy noir stories set in the 1930s. And, um, and so that factored into my scheming. And uh, when a couple of years later, I had the opportunity to be at LibertyCon with Larry, I proposed a noir panel um, and proposed to Rich Roller, the director of programming for LibertyCon, uh, that Larry be on said noir panel. And then after the panel, I kind of ambushed him and was like, hey man, that was that was a really fun panel, wasn't it? And he was like, oh yeah, you did great. You Cause I had moderated it. And I like, I like dressed up too. I had like the vaccine stockings on and everything but a birdcage veil, right? Um, and so, <laughs> so, so afterwards uh, I, I was like, yeah, that was fun. And he said, yeah, you did great. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. Um, what would you think about being in an anthology that focused on science fiction, fantasy, noir stories? And he, and he was like, well, and I was like, see, I was thinking we could do this together. I would do the bulk of the work. You could put your name on it and we'd sell it to a bunch of people and make a, make a million dollars. And he was like, you know what? I like your pitch. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's how, that's how uh, Noir Fatale was born, um, which was the first of the three anthologies that we did. Um, so we we refined the pitch a little bit, made it a little bit more professional, a little less sassy, and uh, and pitched it to Tony, and she liked the idea, and we were off and running. Um, so that came out in 2017, I think, um, and then um, did very well, uh, actually, um, which was why we got to do two more. So uh, Noir Fatale was the was themed around the um, the character archetype of the femme fatale. Uh, which we see often in noir fiction. Um, and so for the second one, we gave a equal time to the guys with No Game for Nights. And then this third installment is uh, Down These Mean Streets, and it focuses on the archetype of the city as as sort of a setting um, in the noir story. Very cool. So hey, just real quick, we were going to talk to Larry as well, but uh, Hinkley has things to do. So we want to make sure we get her on here and <laughs> talk about her story. Uh, yeah. And uh, to tell us all about that is she also I believe she's the youngest author in all three of the uh, anthologies uh, and which is so cool to me because she's also turned in what I think like the defining stories and in, in at least two of the anthologies like they're really really good so yeah please take it away there Hinkley uh thank you yeah I'm really like I'm really proud of these of all of the short stories I've written these are probably my favorites because I really like, I really like Norm. Sorry, make sure I'm not muted. Uh, <laughs> You're good. Uh, yeah, so this time it's uh, Yokoburi, uh, which is, uh, this this time because it was the theme of the city, I focused more on uh, the ja ja Japanese nightlife and like, clubs and bars and that kind of thing and really tried to hone in on the noir like nightlife part of it they were really can i add yeah it really did can i add that it was super fun to edit your story because i had just gotten back from japan and so she's writing about you know these uh izakayas and i'm like oh i think i've been there you know? <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> so yeah Wait. it was you had a couple of experiences it. like that because weren't you talking about Central Street from Casey's story as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I've been to several of the cities that are featured in in our <laughs> anthology. <laughs> so, so yeah, we uh, we're really. Uh, I just every time I've been in this, I've been so proud to be amongst all these accomplished authors and and new talents. It's been really neat for me. Um, uh, Larry, you you talked about. Uh, getting into uh or, or casey talked about getting you into this uh but you're already established as a, a noir author for the grim noir series etc et so uh tell me about what you know like was the coolest thing about this for you the whole process of these three anthologies i i just kind of, i love the theme i love the idea of taking that really cool aesthetic and applying it to science fiction and fantasy 
And uh, the fun part has been having this really diverse, crazy group of authors from like all sorts of different backgrounds and just all the wild stuff they've come up with. Oh, and yeah. it's kind of amazing. So um, it's across the board. So like we, we just had Hinkley on and, and she's the youngest in there. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's because she's your daughter. No, actually, she's got like the best reviewed stories in the yeah. anthologies. Uh, you know, she's it's, it's out, between like, her and Bob. It's her, her and yeah. Bob Jr. <laughs> the, the two. Best reviews are seriously between Hinkley and Bob Butner. Yeah, that's pretty Bob awesome. <laughs> and so, and she's beating out guys, guys like me and David Weber and, and, and beating Laurel K. Hamilton. So, you know, she's, yep. she's earned it. But um, it's just really fun. And uh, the different aspects, like, I mean, we got, I mean, Marisa doing uh, sci-fi, Griff doing fantasy. Uh, yeah. I mean, we had Mike Massa doing a really weird urban historical fantasy uh, we got Pat Tracy doing um, basically a Dungeons and Dragons uh, noir detective story. Uh, it just across the board. I mean, it's not really D and D because you know, you know, screw. Yes, it did come from a, a role playing game campaign, <laughs> but the serial numbers have been scrubbed off. So please don't sue us, uh, Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. Um, but just all sorts of different, really interesting backgrounds. And we 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 mentioned Bob Butner. Bob Butner coming at it from this interesting alternate history perspective yeah um yeah so and bob's story bob's story in this one actually is the direct sequel like picks up minutes later to his story in no game for nights the second one which is is i i thought that was really cool bob is one of i think other than larry and i bob and griffin are the only two who've been in all and laurel have, have yeah i think laurel's in all three too so yeah yeah so uh, and and so. it's just interesting too because even those people when we have people um who've been in uh multiple anthologies i i sample from three different worlds for, yeah. for what i did and laurel actually she she did um two from her established universe uh that's mm -hmm. really popular and she did one where she tried an entirely new different wild thing yeah. uh which was completely different for her and she's doing a book in it and so we were like the first time she experimented yeah in the world and it was a squirrel loved it yeah. <laughs> people loved it too like the reviews on on laurel's story in and i know i'm sorry griff i'm talking about the last anthology but um but yeah the the reviews were like this was weird but i really liked it yeah. <laughs> well, well honestly for me and casey too the three anthologies probably uh blur together and i'm like wait wait which end, which yeah. one was that in? Which one was it? Yeah. <laughs> because we've had so many stories from so many great authors and it's just been the, the, the talent pool for this has been absolutely incredible. And it's yeah. been super rewarding to see them. And honestly, they, they, and I occasionally probably agree with me on this. And so she, cause she came into this, she said she was going to try to make my job easy, you know, and she's going to do all the hard stuff. But honestly, the writers were so good that it they did hard. make our lives easy. Yes. Yeah. It was great to work with <clears throat> just such a such a superb group of professionals each time that we did this. You know, people people wrote great stories, they got them in on time, they handled edits beautifully. Like I, you know, I've been spoiled for any other <laughs> anthology experiences that I ever do because this set the bar, you know. <laughs> So how about you and your story, Marisa? What are you, you're, uh, are you working from an established world with uh, Ghosts of Cascata or is this brand new stuff? Yeah, brand new stuff. Um, so fun fact, y'all, uh, the, the story of persistence. So I was floated as a name for uh, Noir Fatale and was not yet ready. Um, so I did not make the cut, which is totally cool. Um, but how exciting to get in in this third one because um, you know you just keep working uh, so I was really really pumped and then of course really really nervous like oh no what if they hate me and they're like oh we made a terrible mistake this was awful no let's never do this again um, so I wrote a story about uh, Tenobia who is a war hero who really isn't um, and really does not want to be um, and it's also one of my favorite first lines that I've ever written and I won't get it exact but it's something like a film of peace lay over the city, like the scum on standing water, which is yeah. like the most noir thing I could have ever come up with. And I was very proud of me. Um, there are some amazing <laughs> beginnings to stories in this. In oh my God, everyone. Yeah. I was so proud of mine. And then I read all the rest and I was like, all right, well. Yeah, right. Me too. Exactly everyone's the same. talented. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's talented, whatever. Yeah. Um, 
uh yeah it's a super fun story to write uh Tenobia is just like Kenny she's just trying to live her life she does not want to get pulled back into the shenanigans of the people in power but of course she knew she wasn't out and she wasn't they pulled her back in um and so then it, you learn about by the end the ghost of Cascada so. that was the thing too for me was like uh with Larry's story I, I love the humor in that. And I also, yeah. you know, AIs were really cool. And and it shows the 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 transcendence of the noir, you know, atmosphere or setting, whatever you want to call it, yeah. that that makes for, you know, like, yeah, there's going to be some dark humor. Yeah, I hate all my siblings. I particularly hate Zeus because he just, <laughs> he I just, oh. That was so good. So yeah, and it, you know, to, to have fun within this the noir thing is one of the most exciting aspects of doing any kind of anthology work is being excited about it. First off, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. part of the the you know these were such great themes and it's such a great playground, uh, and it was you were open to everything from everybody, uh, you know, it, as what you know what are you going to do and it, you know that's why they all turned it in on time or you know. <laughs> before or whatever so yeah 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 but also yeah. enthusiastic no, awesome. you know yeah. fans of the genre you picked a bunch of fans of the genre to to do it yeah and it shows right it shows in the story that's exactly it you know um fun fact the first line in my story was also my favorite first line that i've ever written and i had a similar experience when i started reading everyone else's stories it was yeah. like wow Oh. that one's also okay. really good My, mine's not so much the first line but it's the first paragraph like the first couple yeah. of lines. So, I'm like, yeah. intro of my story i'm like super proud yeah yeah but, uh, yeah larry you're muted oh larry muted come back come back Still muted i can't read your lips because you're actually no oh no why is he muted he's not muted actually that's weird on the zoom part oh, yeah no. but maybe, maybe the audio yeah his audio time. dropped for some reason we want to know what you're saying. Nope. <laughs> you might have to leave it and come back. Here you go. Yeah, he'll come back. He'll come back. Drop it like flies, people. Yes. Drop it like flies. There we, go. there we go. Connecting to audio. That's a good yes, sign. That's always a good sign. <laughs> Technology. Oh, we love mm. it. Okay, am I back? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay. Yay! Like I said, technical difficulties, guys. I have this awesome audio set up in my office and, it, and the router died. So. Yep. Yep. Um, I'll just say, Griff, I love your story, like the the, the opening of it. Um, and not, I mean, the, the, the setting, of it, the, the vibe of the city. Mm. And I love you. I love your main character. Um, it's just, I think that you absolutely nail that vibe. Griffin yeah. understood the assignment, hundred percent. Well, because because each each one we've had the theme, you know, the theme of the story, and, and so we started out with Femme Fatale. And and Griff just gave us a astoundingly cool film to count, right? Mm -hmm. Form of a semi-immortal, very jaded uh, necromancer who was the film to tell. But then then this uh, because this was this time it was about the city, and and uh, so Griff gave us a fantasy series, a city that was just it was interesting. It was dark. It was yeah. compelling. It was a really cool setting, man. You did a great job on that. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it is the set part of the setting for the the novel that I'm shopping around right now. So, and it's the necromancer. It's the same character. She's just uh, a little younger by like a lot, uh, and uh, in that city, which is uh, kind of stuck in my head for years uh, as a, a setting that I want to continue to use. So, I appreciate that. That's very kind of you to say. Well, and one of the things that I liked so much about your story in particular, Griff, is so you titled it Breathe, right? And and I believe it's in the intro where you talk about like the rhythm of the city, like it's breathing. And that's a theme that you carry throughout the story. And you really do end up making the city almost like another character, which was exactly what I had I had asked you guys to do. Because, you know, the, the reason that we we chose this theme is that if you think about like, you know, you think about Mulholland Falls and it couldn't happen anywhere but L.A., right? No, right. Um, you know, Sam Spade is is he's he's where he is and and he could be nowhere else. It's it's the same kind of thing. Right. Um, if you 
if the story could be transplanted somewhere else, it doesn't have that that real gritty, true noir feel. Right. Um, and and you made it, like I said, you understood the assignment. So. Yeah. Well, that's one of the cool well things done. too. Is like you know Steve Diamond, whose uh, father was an officer in Sacramento. He sets his yeah. story in in Sacramento. Uh, and uh, it's a cop and and a werewolf and uh, very very cool stuff. Um, but again, you know, I think everybody understood the assignment on this one. I, I really they did. really did. It's they you really know did. The, the choosing the cities. You know, everybody wants to use New York and or Chicago for you know kind of stuff. And that was one of the yeah, cool things about like yeah, like three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the the fact that you know we we have this gamut of other places. You know, Sacramento, who thinks of Sacramento? Well, people that live yeah. in Sacramento don't think about Sacramento. Or Albuquerque. Yeah. yeah. Or Albuquerque, yeah. Yeah, Albuquerque. Well, one of the things I say, Marisa did good. So she came up with the sci-fi city. Um, and so so introducing us to a new setting. But, like, she nailed this really interesting culture because if I remember correctly, it was, was um, reparation or uh, repatriation day. Uh, and so Mar Marisa created repatriation day and it right there, it told you all this stuff about the history of this world, but she, she played it really smooth. Yep. So there was in the background, like, yep. so she never yeah. like beat you over the head with it, but you very clearly get the vibe right. of like, this is a, this is a city that was kind of on the edge and has been like forced back together. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just, with having that as the background. So right out the gate, even though it's a, it's, even though it's a new city that we've not seen before, you get a vibe for it really quick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes a character. It's really cool. Yeah. And that's, that is again, you know, it's uh, Vienna for the third man, uh, you know, that kind of stuff that where this, I mean, everything about the, the city is a character. It informs who you're going to go talk to and what kind of expat you might meet. Uh, all those kind of things. It's, it really is uh, a neat deal. And that's part of the, what, you know, again, going back to Bob Butner, that, that story where, you know, this guy's coming back to New York and, you know, he, or he's never been in New York before because he's an Iowa kid uh, and he's been in Germany for, you know, two decades almost. And uh, you know, how he's just struggles with, you know, everything else. And yet the characters that he meets are quintessential New Yorker. And yeah, and they even have an impression of him as a quintessential whatever it may be. I mean, it really is. Uh, it's it's again, it's a neat aspect of the of the genre that you can. There are tropes that you can play with that are not tired that uh, that get exercise in in this uh, anthology and in the previous anthologies. So I really, like I said, I'm super proud that I've been able to be a, contribute to these. Uh, in my small way, and and uh, it's been really fun to be uh, doing these. So, uh, but yeah, and then Mike Massa again, super characterful of New York, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, you know because his Genius Loci series is really about uh, the cities. So he was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he has he has the agents of other cities. In, yeah, his first one was about cities, and it's so cool because the cities are literally characters. Yep. And mm -hmm. his the setting is so interesting because it's basically the the genius loci. The whole idea is that cities have souls yep. uh, that yeah. develop over time. And World War II is actually kind of a battle between Stuttgart and uh, the rest of the world. Yep. You know, because Stuttgart's a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> it strikes out. Yeah. But London's such a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. <laughs> It's really London's cool. a psychotic, psychotic yeah. B word in his, yeah. <laughs> in his <laughs> series. Love it, love it. Having having talked with him about some of his ideas, yeah, London is a psychotic B word. Yeah, and that's one of the cool <laughs> things about anthologies in general is it allows an author, no matter how accomplished, to kind of just go ahead and play with something. Yeah, you know, yeah. do yeah. something like new. Laurel did. Yeah, and Larry, you know, gave us yeah. this yeah. really new. Uh, very very cool setting uh that oh, man. i love of, this city yeah. in mind so i've got a series called lost planet homicide and um so i made up it's it, the whole thing set in it's in the same universe as gunrunner from bayon mm -hmm. but it's uh, on a lost colony like in the middle of you know nowhere so it doesn't relate to the rest of the rest of the science fiction setting at all uh, but basically it's an acid covered world with one mountain range that's uh, above the acid that's uh, habitable and they've built a city on it. And it's just a city that sucks. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the, the lowest city. It's the lowest yeah. city of the, of yeah. the five. Yeah. 
and, and so I'm writing basically, you know, the uh, the, the d- detective stories, you know, space Bosch on this on, on this this setting, and uh, and it's a detective in the lowest mountain. Uh, so when we got when we got this, and I, I just had this idea because it was uh, the setting was the city. I was like, I'm going to make the city the main character, literally. And so it already established that there was uh, artificial intelligence in this setting, though we hadn't really dealt with them much. So I just introduced all the competing petty, uh, uh, angry artificial intelligences that exist in this colony world, constantly competing with each other. And one of them gets murdered, which is a big deal. And one of the other uh, AIs, which is basically a city maintenance AI, is the hard-boiled detective that goes to solve the crime. Who used to be uh, a, a star cruiser. Right. Yeah. And because, that's, yeah. see, I love that too, because one of the things that, that a lot, like not a lot of people focus on, but runs throughout noir fiction is that in a lot of ways, it's very veteran focused, right? Mm-hmm. Like oh, yeah. the, the, the hard boiled detective character is almost invariably some sort of combat veteran, whether that be a military veteran of either the first or the second world war or you know later later wars or a he's like a veteran police officer who left the force and you know those types he's had some kind of violent experience experiences with violence that have shaped him and the fact that you did that even with an ai and the city itself yeah i thought that was a really cool interpretation which, of that which also yeah. makes which also makes the ai a suspect which i love right I thought right that was awesome. yeah because not he a was, lot yeah. of us know how he to do this. AI you know how to do it. Capable. Yeah. It yeah. was just funny too because he was the only one who'd killed another AI. Yeah, right. yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's, That's right. exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah and it was just funny because then uh, the, 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 the AI he, he wants to go back to being a Star Cruiser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, I like I said, I I really dug that story, and then uh, Marisa's was really good, and and Casey, your story is 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 the. Uh, the Is most characterful <laughs> like representation of mars like i just i oh. dig oh yeah yeah the you that know the was... chasma i mean i that was Thank really you. cool and again that, that was fun. is pretty brutal <laughs> i wanted to well so i wanted to play with so i've always sort of been fascinated by the you know the legend of jack the ripper um and uh so i wanted to play with with that story but set it on mars basically um and um and so that's that's where ophir chasma comes from um i it ends a little differently (laughs) than than you know the real life mystery which you know is still unsolved to this day um but uh but if you know what you're looking for you can find a lot of the a lot of the nods to um you know to to the historical story of of jack the ripper so yeah, one of the cool things that I got out of both your and Marissa's story was the use of of jargon as an internal language between veterans and mm-hmm. uh, people that are associated in the same kind of social groups. Uh, and I thought that was really cool because, you know, instead of doing Elvis or whatever, we're talking and like there's these terms that they understand and they know and they 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 uh, immediately comprehend, but you're you're not explaining it. You have to figure right. it from context, which makes the reader feel yeah. smart, right? It makes yeah. me feel like I'm clever because I understood that. Uh, so or I, I like have, that reference. Or, or I have yeah. a shared experience <laughs> right. with that veteran, which yeah. is yeah. Know, another thing. Yeah. So, uh, so it was kind of funny. I, I didn't realize, but the term soul for a day on Mars is actually a, a real term used by the type of scientists who have to talk about time periods on mars (laughs) so because they didn't want to use day because a day is defined as 24 hours um and that's not the period of mars's rotation right so they had to come up with another term so they chose soul um and then as a joke they expanded that too instead of saying tomorrow for for the soul that's happening after this one they're like well it's not tomorrow it's soul morrow so so that's where those terms came from they're actually legit terms in use by scientists who deal with Mars. <laughs> Mars I did country. not know that. That's yeah, I know. That was a uh, that was a, a, a about a one evening research rabbit hole that I fell down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. One of the coolest parts of our job is the research rabbit holes we get to go down. Oh yeah, right yeah. sci-fi. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Also makes us really weird at parties. <laughs> or awesome. Well, but or awesome. Yes. 
yeah, or on federal watch list. Thank you, Agent Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I again, I, I really was excited. Is there? Do you either of you or any of you have any particular favorite stories that weren't your own? I know that the editors probably should shouldn't say much because they're editors and you're supposed to love your children equally. <laughs> But I guess it's just up to you, Marisa. Yeah, well, I have one uh, because it was the first one I read before the anthology came out. I read uh, Casey Moore's Albuquerque story. Um, yes. And, oh, my God. He's like, I think it's terrible. And I was like, I think it's one of the best things I've ever read. Um, like, I, I could not stop reading it. Um, my comments were more like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, my God, this is amazing. Oh, my God, is there more? Oh, my God, is like. I was not helpful as a beta reader at all. I was just like, yes, more. Thank you. The the whole, uh, what do they call the lumpy, lumpy bicycle shorts? <laughs> the whole thing. That the story. girls wearing the Dude, lumpy That is bicycle. what walking down Central in Albuquerque after midnight, which I have done. Yeah. That is exactly what it is like. Fair exactly. Enough. To a T. <laughs> there is no fiction my, uh, in that story. <laughs> my brother-in-law, my in real life, my brother-in-law is the assistant was the assistant district attorney, uh, assistant district attorney in Bernalillo County, right? Uh-huh. I had to tell him about this story. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh yeah, that sounds completely accurate. <laughs> Checks out. Right. Checks out. That's right. yeah. He's like, just yeah, yeah. oh, it's supernatural weirdness, midnight in Albert. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. uh yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I saw that case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Might be dosed with mushrooms, might not. Yeah. The, really ghost, yeah. the ghost that, that Casey talks about, the mm-hmm. Sarah that is uh haunts uh this little really delicious cafe in Old Town. Um that real that's real, that's real stuff. We were I actually uh I found that cafe with um uh my friend Tammy when uh uh, we when we were in Albuquerque together going through training and we uh we were downtown in Old Town and we got hungry and something smelled delicious and we found a cafe and so we ate there and it was amazing. It's called the Church Street Cafe. If you're ever in Albuquerque in Old Town, go check it out and ask them about Sarah. Sarah is the ghost of a woman who used to live in that place when it was a house and she um she was kind of infamous and notorious because she like stabbed her lover on the front lawn for cheating on her and stuff like that. Um, (laughs) Right. So, um, but she, um, we were, we were sitting there and Tammy's son, Donnie, who's, he's an adult now, but he was like, like four at the time. He starts doing this like real creepy, like looking around going, there's no one here, mommy. There's no one here. And we're like, (laughs) Donnie, we didn't ask. Oh no. <laughs> what, oh no. What, what? <laughs> but the burritos were delicious. So yeah. we finished those and then we this left. episode of Ghost Hunters brought to you by <laughs> yeah, that's uh-huh. right. That, that's was, right. that was one of my favorite stories though. Um yeah. I know we gotta love all our children. That one was really distinct. There's not really anything else like it. Yeah. It yeah. was just quirky urban fantasy. And but it, it made the, the city a character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, and it, it had the fun. He had had the fun going on in it too. Like, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, his and Larry's story were the two that you know. Actually, I snorted or laughed uh-huh. at something that was in them. So yeah, for both oh, of them. Oh, I laughed. I laughed my head off at Speaker's story. The mm. uh, Circum- the one, Circumfrisco. Uh, Circumfrisco streets of Circumfrisco because it was so so punny. <laughs> And the puns were so bad that they were amazing. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, we had, I think we had more funny stories in this one than in either of the first two. Yeah, we had, we had a few, I, I yeah. think each time we'd have something would like break the tension, you know, we'd spread yeah. it out. We had yeah. some dark ones in this one too. We uh, did. And it's funny because one of the things about one of the anthology is when you put them in order. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Casey, our, our Casey's was dark. Uh, yeah. Steve's yeah. was dark. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And so when we were, we were putting them in order, we'd be like, we, we we would like Casey's like, okay, here's my suggested um, order, and I and I was going through. It's like, okay, well, we got some sci-fi's in a row. We got some fantasy. For, oh yeah, we can't have that. Yeah, we can't have back to back. That's just too depressing. We gotta. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta Break those around. Yeah. I'm not, and I don't yeah. mean depressing bad. I mean it's like, wow, that's a lot of murder. Uh, row here guys yeah Yeah. i think i think steve might have had one of the better body counts he he certainly had a lot of people oh yeah yeah yeah. getting tore apart 
chewed up. <laughs> yeah, he's been, he's been talking about Werewolf Cop for a lot of years. Well, uh, Pat, so... Pat Tracy's body count was pretty high, too. He, yeah. Pat, Pat is funny because like that man is um, probably the single most talented author I know who has not put out much or much in the way of novels. Yeah. Um, but his wordsmithing, um, he he's not quite Christopher Rocchio level wordsmithing, you know. But he is up there. Like, well, because Pat's an award winning poet yeah. is his background. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then he just writes like action adventure pulp uh, fantasy stuff. And it's incredible, yeah. you know. Yeah. I'm actually looking at. Oh, here's one. I actually, I really enjoy too. And this is a, from a series of books. Uh, Dan Willis. Um, oh yes. Yeah. So he's got this series that is a 1930s New York City magical detective, mm-hmm. right? That's awesome. uh, and it's yeah. a straight up noir, and uh, it does really extremely good. And Alex Lockerbie, uh, Alex mm-hmm. Lockerbie series. And so he did a story for us of that universe, which I hope people will check out the novels after after reading this story because it's it's a really good series. He's done really yeah, well. Yeah, it really that. is. It really is. I actually started the series after he sent in his story because I was like, oh, okay, well, I need more of this in my life. So, <laughs> well, because he read Grimoire, he read Hard Magic years and years ago because I've known Dan for a lot of long, long time. Yeah, um, and he read uh, Hard Magic, and he was like. Oh my gosh. He's like, this this genre is a gold mine. <laughs> He's like, I want to do 1930s magic stuff. And I was like, right? dude, have fun, man. It's, yeah. it's a it's a it's a it's wide, it's a wide open field. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things too, is that you know, currently the you know, uh true detective is having a resurgence. Uh mm-hmm. and you know, the, the first season was very, very uh, both phenomenal. Noir, and a uh, little bit Lovecraftian. You know, have you seen? Tell me, have you seen the Yellow Sign uh, stuff going on? And uh, you know, so I'm not surprised that there are people going, "Yeah, let's let's do this." And and uh, because again, it seems to be uh, fresh. You know, it's it's not like dystopia where it's gonna. You know, it's it's just it's, I can't say enough about it. Good about it. So, Casey, what story was a short story was it that you uh, you really dug on? Um. Well, again, I love all my children equally. Um, but uh, if Marisa hadn't called out Casey's, I was going to call it out just for just for the sheer Albuquerque-ness of it. And Albuquerque is not that big of a city in the grand scheme of things, but it's definitely the biggest city in its region. And so, I don't know, just if you've ever been there, read the story. You'll You'll get it. <laughs> You'll 100% get it. I think it's funny that of our urban fantasy entries in this, we had Key West, Sacramento, and Albuquerque. Right? Yeah. I love that. I I didn't see that coming. I also really loved Laurel's story. Um, Because, uh, so she's given us a story for all three, and I've loved all three of them. But this one, I think, was probably my favorite because her character is so little bit of a spoiler sorry guys but but her character is a brand new master vampire or master of the city vampire and it's about like his his rise as the master of the city and he is unlike any of the your stereotypical asshole sorry i probably shouldn't swear a-hole <laughs> a-hole master one. vampires yeah. Okay, there it is. Sorry, guys, I took it. Uh, <laughs> <he's>, <laughs> uh, but he he is, he's such a different character to be, you know, in that role. And 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 she but she pulls it off in such a way that it's it's as believable as as vampire fiction can be. You know, like it's logical. You can see how this guy got into that position and amassed this power. Um, and it's just a really, really cool story. And is that uh, a character from the uh, you know mainline novels or? So, I haven't read her most recent release yet. Um, but he, to my knowledge, he hasn't showed up yet. But she okay. has hinted on her social media that we may see more of him in the in the Anitaverse. So, uh, fingers crossed. I hope so because I really like the guy. I think he's awesome. Yeah, no. Why well, and and the uh, the whole group they had yeah. some really cool distinct characters in there. So. It yeah. was a good story. I like the and, I, and no spoilers, no spoilers, but I like the bit with the seagulls. Yeah. Um, yes. 
Yeah. And, and no, no spoilers, but yeah, it's yeah. well because you know got the whole thing with the vampire. I mean, going back to Dracula and the wolves, you know. Yeah. But what do you got? What do you got in Florida? What do you got in Key West? Yeah. Seagulls. Yeah. Check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it again, it fits the city, right? So. So yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to kind of go into some of these folks that I hadn't heard about. And I, the uh, what was the name again of that story with the uh, uh, Larry you were talking about? It's uh, Dan Willis the, the series. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's Arcane Case Arcane Casebook series. Yeah, Arcane yeah. Casebook series. And uh, the main the main detective is named Alex. I want to say Lockerbie. Mm -hmm. So Gotta have yeah, a good really really good. Yeah, really good stuff. So we actually the the talent pool for this for this anthology and also the whole the entire trilogy it's been actually really incredible we we scored i mean casey yeah, and i got did. lucky on, on this one <laughs> we, really we really did, did. well it also <laughs> comes across being, the board it also comes with being open and, and you know accepting people that actually you know have a reputation that to actually doing what they're doing right so you guys have you know again uh and you guys really hit it with the first one and again the process through which it was it was you were easy to work with uh throughout it and uh i've just like i said i've enjoyed the process and i feel privileged to be doing it Thanks, um and you know i, get, then, I got to, and then we all get showed up by a 20 year old i mean <laughs> it's gotta happen yeah. you know <laughs> we blame you and bridge right yes <laughs> yeah dang your talented genes yeah. yeah writer writer genetics i guess <laughs> Well, we we joke that that there are certain publishers with certain breeding program ideas, so you know it's not <laughs> beyond the realm. Uh, so whatever works, uh, I suppose. Right, just keep it going. Science fiction and fantasy for the next generation. We got you. That's right. That's right. The uh, so does anybody have any uh, uh, plans for uh, future anthologies? Or are you guys tired out from all this uh, uh, good work? <laughs> well as of right now uh we had we, we we did we did the three and i think so for right now i think we're done plus i owe tony a novel that i'm like four months behind on and so i ain't thinking about anything until that's that's done right <laughs> i ain't yeah. i ain't taking on anything new until that's out the door cool that's fair that's fair yeah and marisa um, you've got you've got big news on that front right you've got uh it's coming yeah. out this week or is it already out no, it's not out yet. February 6th. Um, so my very first solo novel uh, is out with Bain. It's very exciting. Uh, it's called Beyond Enemies. Um, a girl in her tank. Age of old story. Yeah. The cover. Oh, my God. I love the cover so much. Um, yeah. And then uh, later this year, I'll be writing with David Weber in the Honorverse. So, you know. That's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> So, That's so cool. freaking cool yeah never heard and of you've him got, don't have any yeah. idea who he is. some guy some, some, some guy, guy. Have heard of him. he yeah. was in one of these yeah, yeah, yeah. he was in the first one yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. with an honorverse story so you know so i too have worked in the honorverse thank you so much very yeah. nice very nice we're all very <laughs> important no yes we're very important so, uh, um you've got a story on uh bane.com right now don't you i do thanks casey i yeah, totally you, didn't forget about it um so if you are like uh do i want to check out this marisa wolf chick um before you commit to beyond enemies you can go to bane.com and read a free short story in the same universe um it is from the entirely human point of view about a girl in her tank um and gives you kind of an eye on um how the genetically engineered soldiers might appear to non-genetically engineered soldiers um and then if you like it uh, you should totally get Beyond Enemies. And then maybe yeah. check out that David Rubber guy. I don't know if you need to. And then, that He's way pretty you can good. Be team, team Breezy for life. Team Breezy, yeah. So uh, in that vein, and to kind of close things off, uh, what, uh, where can we see you and what are you doing in the near future? Uh, we'll start with Casey and then work our way around. Um, so my next convention appearance, I'll be at Boscone in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, Um as opposed to all the other Bostons, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I'll be at Bosco in mid-February. Uh, I think that's the like the 9th through the 11th of February. So if you're going to be there, come say hi. Um, other than that, you can find me online uh, at caseyezel.net or .com. Either one, I own both. And um, 
as far as uh, definitely check out down these meat streets um, and uh, look for <clears throat> towards the end of the year, look for the Romanov rescue. Also, I have a brand new space opera series coming in March, March 22nd. Uh, the cover has not yet been released, but I've seen the art. It is by the same artist as the Beyond Enemies artist, Sam Kennedy. So um, look for that on my social media and you guys will get a visual treat. Um, and then uh, uh, The Queen's Fixer is the first book in the Space Opera series. And that comes out on March 22nd, the day before my birthday. So for my birthday, I give you a book that you can purchase. <laughs> treat nice. That's right. And it's so good. Just Thanks. Good. Yeah. Thank you. And you, Larry? Um, so I, my most recent release is Monster Hunter Memoirs Fever with Jason Cordova. Uh, so that that's out. And actually doing really good. People are having a lot of fun with that. Uh, yes. It's another spinoff from the regular Monster Hunter series. Uh, that's been really well received. It's a lot of fun. Uh, next thing I have coming out is Lost Planet Homicide uh, Episode 3, um, which will be coming out on Audible. Uh, so that's an audible exclusive i love those and that's actually what my story and this is related to and then um i am working on the fifth and final book of the saga the forgotten warrior it's called graveyard of demons and uh so that is uh i'm, I'm worried that it's been taking me off because it's you know, i'm wrapping up an epic fantasy series mm -hmm. that thing's got to be perfect or or i'm this is i got one shot to, to wrap right. this up right <laughs> yeah awesome no pressure no pressure yeah, yeah no pressure yeah. at all so that's what yeah. i've got going on right now so uh for conventions do you have anything you're uh, uh nothing currently planned just got back from marscon i know some of you guys were there too a lot, a lot was a lot of fun uh nothing currently on the calendar for me so which i am okay with because my gosh i've done a lot of conventions <laughs> fair and you marissa for conventions yeah i will be at mid south con um in march in the Tennessee, Mississippi border area. Um, and then Liberty Con this summer, which oh, is my favorite con. Awesome also, BT Dubs, Casey is going to be the Toastmaster Mistress of Ceremonies boss of us uh, for the con. So it's <laughs> going to be an amazing time. Um, yeah. No pressure. I, yeah. No pressure. <laughs> I mean, not, not no, no, no pressure there's, for anybody. There's no pressure for anybody who's ever followed Chuck Gannon. You know, never. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that bringing was, that up. Yeah. She's following oh, Terry Maggard. Guess, guess, so. guess yeah. I won't be sleeping tonight, Griff. Thank you. <laughs> that was Toastmaster for Liberty Con once, and nobody remembers it because it was so boring. I'm just going to follow Larry. That'll there be fine, right? Yeah. 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 Follow Larry. Just I, yeah. Yeah. Name off the it's list. a spectrum, right? It's a, it's a Larry on this <laughs> end, and there's a <laughs> check in on this end. It's a Larry oh to a check spectrum. <laughs> Larry, um, you're hilarious. I'm sure everybody loved you being Toastmaster. So, uh, uh, that was one thing I really wanted to quick, quickly mention is, is that the Audible version of this uh, book is also out yeah. and it mm -hmm. is incredible. All three of them. Yeah, and it's really, really well done. They've got, uh, I think, four, four voice actors, four or five voice actors uh, voicing yeah. different stories. So you get a real, it's not a, you know, it's it's really nice to be able to like hear different voices voicing these very different stories uh, and that kind of thing so it adds an element to it and uh i was super excited by the gal who did breathe uh, i thought that was incredible so yeah yes i listen to my own stories because you know heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. you're supposed to yeah. yeah well i'm also doing the research for the next one but anyway uh, so make sure if you, you know, you like to, you're on a long drive or going to a convention somewhere, maybe pick up uh, an audiobook version of uh, any of the anthologies. They're all out. Uh, but or all uh, of this, them. yeah, there we go. Or all of them. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you guys spending time with us and, and talking to us and please let Henkley know that we don't hold it against her for bailing early on us. A bunch of old. But she had to life. take the dog out of here. He was making uh, too much noice. Yeah. <laughs> next Likely time i'll story. be back in my office i'll go pick up yeah. a new router tomorrow <laughs> all right well thank you again very much i appreciate your time and uh please everybody check out down these mean streets it's uh, out currently uh and uh available where you buy your books and now we bring you our audiobook serialization of tinker by win spencer Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near-future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business, 
pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the elven court, the NSA, the elven interdimensional agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. The first booth beyond the gate was a portable shrine to Redoya. She paused to clap and bow to the statue and drop a diamond to his silver-strewn hands. She considered, eyes closed, hands clasped. What was it that she wanted? In earlier years, she had prayed for things as simple as winning something from one of the booths. Searching her heart, she found only conflicting desires. Finally, she prayed simply, May I figure out what it is I want in life? Why do you do that? Nathan had hung back, looking a mix of annoyed and bewildered. I always do that. She headed for the sweet bun stands as fair custom number two. One needed to get them fresh and hot. Tulu said that if Grandpa wasn't going to put me in the protection of human gods, then she'd see me protected by the elfin ones. He made a face. What? Oh, I was fairly sure you weren't Catholic, but I expected you to be at least Christian. And? Nothing. Nathan bought sweet buns for both of them, and they drifted on, pulled by the tidal force of moving bodies. There was more of everything at the fair than she'd ever seen before. Another row had been added to the basic grid to accommodate the additional booths. Despite the extra space, more people strolled through the aisles, elves dressed in human fashions, humans dressed in elfin fashion, parents with infants, couples of mixed races, and most surprisingly of all, armed guards of both races. Tinker had never seen on-duty guards at the fair before. She wasn't sure if the tension she felt came from the armed presence or her own sudden unease with Nathan. I can't believe there are armed guards here, she said to Nathan as they passed the third guard, her dark EIA uniform and flat black gun, a black hole for attention. The viceroy was nearly murdered twice, Nathan said, and then there's the whole thing with the smuggling ring. With this many people in one place, it's a smart thing to do. I don't like it. You wouldn't have ended up tangling with that Saurus if there'd been more than Windwolf and his bodyguard at the fair. Tinker flashed to that day, the Saurus standing with a foot pinning the lower half of Windwolf's bodyguard to the ground, and his upper half in its mouth. In an image that haunted her nightmares, the Saurus pulled upward, stretching the guard's body obscenely long before shaking its head, tearing the male in half. She shuddered. Let's not talk about that. But once called up, she couldn't stop thinking about the day. Strange how she couldn't recall Windwolf's location until he was yelling in her face to run, and how, even now, she didn't remember him as wounded, only angry. In a sudden rewrite of history that was almost dizzying, she realized that Windwolf had lost a friend that day, not only torn to shreds but also eaten. How long had they known each other? A hundred years? Poor Windwolf. No wonder he had been so angry. Guess. Nathan interrupted her thoughts. What? So guess what they named the baby. Baby? She glanced around and spotted a human woman showing off her baby to curious elves. She had always thought it odd that elves seemed fascinated by babies, but considering what Windwolf had said, a young adult elf may have never seen an infant in his or her life, she had to admit there was something intriguing about the miniaturization of a being that babies represented. But they were, on a whole, too fragile for her to deal with. She supposed that if someday she had kids, she would have to deal with babies. An utterly frightening thought. Nathan was still waiting for her to guess the baby's name and was growing impatient. I don't know the mother. Who is she? What? A frown quirked at the corner of Nathan's mouth as he scanned the brightly dressed crowd. No, not her, he said, spotting the baby being passed around the knot of adults. 
My sister's baby. Guess what they called my niece? Oh, yes, his sister Ginny lived in Bethel Park. She had been waiting for shutdown to go to Earth in order to have her second child, but the baby came a week early, and she delivered at Mercy Hospital. When Tinker had talked to Nathan before shutdown, his sister hadn't named the baby yet. Oh, um, after you? Was there a female version of Nathan? No, Mercy. Mercy Ann. Yuck. Tinker tried to keep her face neutral and made polite noises. Luckily, they'd collided with a mass of people listening to the musicians on stage at the edge of the fairground. She didn't recognize the group's name, but they were a common mixed-race band, blending the raw American rock beat and guitars with traditional elfin instruments and melodies. They featured an oleanuni and an obvious master playing it, his mallets a blur as he hammered. The guitars snarled out the rich, deep, bell-like melody beat out by the oleanuni player. The lead singer was human, growling out a song about the shortness of human life and the reckless abandonment in which the race embraced its fate. In a high, pure counter, the elfin backup singer chanted out the thousand blessings of patience. Wanna dance? Tinker shouted to Nathan, bobbing in place to the beat of the music. Actually, I was working my way to something. Can we find someplace quieter to talk? Okay. Still moving with the beat of the song, she threaded her way through the crowd, trusting him to find a way to follow. You know. He caught up with her beside a fishing booth, where people were trying to fish brightly gleaming peasantiki out of a pool with small paper nets. If you let me go first, I'd open up a path for you to follow. Then all I could see would be your back. You can see over me. Here, let's sit. The next booth down was the Okonomiyaki cart that usually sat in Market Square. Side benches folded down from it, and there were banners hanging down from the bamboo awning to give the deception of privacy. You're still hungry? Nathan asked. I didn't get to eat a lot at the Enclave. She felt a little guilty. Enclaves charged a set price that was rather steep. She held up the bag of silver dimes. Let me pay. No, I'll pay. Nathan thumbed out some coins to the Asian man on the other side of the griddle. They ordered their toppings, and the chef started to mix up the eggs, water, flour, and cabbage for the pancake. So? The family across the street from my sister decided to emigrate back to the States, and they signed over their house to the EIA. They had a nice place, a four-bedroom Cape Cod with a two-car garage and a natural gas furnace with a wood-burner backup system. Your point being... Well, it got me thinking, Nathan said. The house would be a nice starter place for you and me. What? Her cry startled the chef. It's a nice place, well-maintained. We could nab it now and move in later. She could only stare at him in surprise. We put up curtains, Nathan said. Buy a few pieces of furniture and no one would know the difference. It needs sprucing up, so we take our time painting and such. You want to live together? Nathan took her hand. I want to marry you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to waiting until I'm 19? I thought this was just a date. I don't mean right away. I don't want to rush you. I don't know. Talking about marriage on a first date sounds like rushing. Nathan winced. Sorry, I suppose it is. It's just that this house is so perfect. My brother-in-law took me through the place. The rooms are large and sunny. The woodwork is all natural. There's this marvelous stone fireplace in the living room, and there's a level backyard for kids. Kids? Her face must have reflected her shock. He laughed. It's only 11 months until you're 19. In less than two years, you'll be 20. Nathan sounded like he was trying to convince himself. We've got to look ahead. Sure, there are lots of houses out there. Most of them have been standing empty for years. The pipes and windows are broken and roofs need to be replaced. This place is cherry. Nathan, I really meant it when I said we should date to see if we liked one another as more than friends. I don't know if I want to marry you. There was a moment of hurt, hidden quickly away. I'm sorry, Tink, I shouldn't be pushing. I'm the one, after all, who wanted to wait until you're 19. Yeah, 
Tinker shook her head vigorously and then looked down, embarrassed to be suddenly so eager to wait. Is this about the mark? You're rushing because Windwolf made me part of his family? That has nothing to do with it, Nathan said, so surlily that she figured it had everything to do with it. Oh, come on, Nathan. He's the viceroy. He's rich and powerful and could have any woman, elf or human, that he wants. Exactly. Look at me. You're beautiful. Not when you compare me to high-caste elf females. You've seen them. Everyone on the street stops and stares until they're out of sight. Maybe he has a thing for human women, Nathan said. The possibility that Windwolf might like human women made her insides go weird, like someone had dropped them through hyperspace to some point billions of miles from where she stood. She tried to root herself back to reality and ignore the possible delicate arrangements that the brazier might indicate. I saved his life, twice now. He feels indebted to me. I'm an orphan. He's an elf. He's nearly twelve times my age. He's probably just acting like a father figure to me. This has nothing to do with Windwolf. Nathan reached out and took her hand. It's just made me think, that's all. You're a legal adult. There's no real reason to wait. Having just compared herself to elfin females, Tinker felt a stab of sympathy and guilt for Nathan. How could he compete for her attention when just the idea of Windwolf kept making her feel all goofy? Nathan's interest in her had been intriguing, until he started to talk about marriage. All of Windwolf, from his thoughts to his interest, did weird things to her emotions. Nathan was waiting for an answer, and she didn't know what to say. She scrambled for something and came up with, I've got to go pee. Nathan let go of her hand, and she fled. Why did he have to go all serious on her? Why couldn't he just take it slow and let her get used to the idea? And what was that scene at the parking lot? Was he going to try that again the moment they were alone in his car? Did he think they were going to have sex tonight? Suddenly, she just wanted to be home in her own bed, alone. She headed for the fair entrance, but her tight skirt and high heels were making it difficult to run away. And how was she going to get home? Like a fool, she hadn't brought money enough for a taxi. She could call Oil Can, but how would he react? He might think something worse had happened between her and Nathan, and that would be bad. She hit a patch of solid dirt, and her heels sunk deep, making her trip. Hands caught her before she fell, righting her. Thank you. Oh. Her words dried in her mouth as she realized it was Windwolf holding her lightly. What was it about him that inspired so many emotions all at once? She peered up at the Viceroy for all of the Western lands. Gosh, what did she even call him? Your Majesty? All she managed was a faint, Hey? I am glad to see with my own eyes, Windwolf said as quietly, that you are well. I'm okay. She balanced against him while she took off her shoes. High heels and dirt being mistake number 10 or 11 for her tonight. Maynard took care of me. Ah, good. Windwolf relieved her of her shoes, handing them off to one of his guards. Come with me. My car is waiting. Great. She took a step forward and then stopped. Oh, wait. I told Nathan I was just going to, um, going to the restroom. He'd worry if I just disappeared. He'd also probably call out a manhunt for her, and that might get the NSA involved. Describe this, Nathan. I will send someone with a message. Oh, that was tempting. Whatever had caused her to bolt suddenly, it wasn't quite fear, she told herself, just huge anxiety, receded in Winwolf's presence. No, she held his hand tightly, drawing strength. I should go back and tell him myself. Tell Nathan what, she wasn't sure. Oh, gods, what a mess. It would be proper. Windwolf bowed his head, and they started to retrace her route. Now, what was she going to say? Nathan, I'm going home with Windwolf. No. Windwolf is taking me home. No. Windwolf is dropping me at my loft. That sounded innocent enough. Nathan was going to ask why. Because, because, because you're scaring the shit out of me. Oh, be real, this is Nathan after all. Pardon? 
Windwolf leaned closer to hear her mumbled comment. Nothing. I'm just trying out apologies. The crowd had been parting like waves when Nathan appeared before them, a rock to smash up against. What's going on here? Nathan stared at Tinker's right hand holding Windwolf's. Tinker hadn't even been aware that she still held tight to Windwolf. She fought the urge to snatch her hand free. She wasn't doing anything wrong. I, I, I need to go home. Windwolf is dropping me at my loft. I'll take you home. Nathan took her left hand. Nathan, she whined. Why did he have to be so dense? Things went too fast tonight. I just want to go home. So I'll take you home. Nathan gave her hand a gentle tug. Windwolf stepped in front of Tinker and caught Nathan's wrist. No, she is coming with me. Look, you stay out of this. Nathan dropped into cop mode, and his voice went hard. This is between me and her. Elves have no say in this. You did not listen to her. She is saying no. Now let her go. The two males locked angry gazes at one another, ignoring her completely, while each holding on to one of her hands. She felt like a bone between two dogs. Nathan, she tried pulling free of him. Look, I just need some time to think about things. Give me time. Nathan finally looked at her, and there was a world of pain in his eyes. I'm sorry if things went too fast. Just don't go away with him. Things went too fast? No, you went too fast. But she didn't say it aloud because she'd use the phrase first. It bothered her that he didn't own up to his actions, though. Please, Nathan, let me go. Nathan glanced hard at Winwolf, but then sighed and dropped her hand. I'll see you later, she promised. We'll talk, okay? Yeah, we'll talk. Having done the proper thing, she fled with Windwolf. That was another installment in Wind Spencer's Tinker, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy, and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> <laughs>